This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Equity Minds. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you. Welcome to another episode of Equity May. It's a podcast where we help you learn to invest in 45 minutes or less. We break down the world of investing from beginning to dividend so that you can hopefully make some returns. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How's it going, bro? I'm very good, Bryce. Very excited for this episode as always. Your intro has made me think. We actually got some feedback that we shouldn't be saying 45 minutes or less because we never stick to 45 minutes. This might be an episode where we actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think homework for you. Yes, I'm giving you homework. Come up with a new intro for our next Monday episode. Fair. I think I'll adjust it. I'm not going to come up with a new one. Sure. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, blank slate. This is a very well-known introduction True. and I don't want it to rock the boat too much. So I might... It might throw your whole episode exactly. out. Yeah. I might have to quit. True. But look, the other reason I'm excited for this episode is... There's been a lot going on recently. We've just come off a big week of content. We released five episodes in four days. Jeez. And there's competitions going on. There's you know a portfolio that we're starting to get off the ground. And I think this episode is going to be a chance for us to take a deep breath, yes. for us to take stock yes. and to cover off on a bunch of things, have a chat about the competition, about the portfolio. It's an Ask Us Anything episode. We've got a few questions from the audience that we're going to cover off on, but it's exciting times at Equity there's a lot going on, so I'll stop waffling and we can get into it. <laughs> the reason we go over 45 minutes is because you'll waffle. <laughs> anyway, you're right, Ren. So let's just start with some housekeeping. You will have noticed that on our Get Started Investing feed and also on our Equity Mates feed last week, we released the journey of a millennial investor getting into the markets for the first time with Rohan, one of our mates. Please, if you haven't already, go across and listen to that. We've got two more episodes coming. Yep. Second episode out 
this afternoon. Yes. Depending on when you're listening to this. And then third episode next week. So make sure you listen to the one that's out and get ready for two more crackers coming your way. Absolutely. More importantly, you will have seen we have an ETF competition running. The reason we have that going is because we are excited to be launching a deep dive mini series into exchange traded funds, ETFs, everything that there is to know for a beginner investor. You haven't, Even if you haven't started investing, this is the place to start. It will be released in October. Make sure you are signed up to the Get Started Investing podcast feed. It is not our main one. It is a separate podcast that we have, Get Started Investing. Additionally, competition results will only be released on this feed, on, on the, the Get, Get Started, Started Investing, Investing feed. feed. So yeah. if you are entering in our ETF competition, which Ren will touch on a bit, you must be subscribed to that podcast to find out if you have won the big $1,000 or not that is coming straight out of Ren's <laughs> JobKeeper <laughs> payment. <laughs> yeah, and look, even if you haven't entered the competition, you should, but there's been some cracking entries that we'll get into and I think the bonus episode is going to be it's going to be good quality. And yes. And all ETF providers should be listening because they're going to be wanting to steal some of these ideas. Yes. Ren, I can tell you're excited to do the ETF competition, but two more things to cover off. Firstly, we have three t-shirts left. The OG Equity Mates t-shirt with the bull logo on the back. We will not be printing any more of those for a while. Until we maybe do a vintage print run in three or four years time. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so if you would like one of those, we only have large left. Uh, hit us up on Instagram or Facebook and we can arrange that first in best dressed, no pun intended. Additionally, please, if you can leave us a rating on your podcast app, primarily iTunes, I think they're the only one you can leave ratings yeah, at this so, stage. Yeah. If you can leave us a rating and also some commentary in the review section as to why you think this podcast is five stars, that would be awesome. If you don't think it's five stars, please message us directly. There's no <laughs> point putting it up as a review. <laughs> so, Bryce, doesn't, anyway. Bryce doesn't appreciate constructive feedback in a public forum. <laughs> it's so <just> pointless. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, appreciate it if you could do that. It means a world of difference to us from a searchability point of view and that sort of stuff. Yeah, we haven't asked in a while, so we figured we'd ask again. But enough of the housekeeping, Ren. Let's quickly touch on the ETF competition and yes. then we can jump into portfolio. So for people who aren't following us on socials, they may not be aware of this competition, but basically what we are doing is we've put a $1,000 prize on the line for a build an ETF competition. Come up with your best idea for an ETF. Everyone seems to have one that they think should be made. Now's your chance to share that idea and potentially win the prize. Go to equitymates.com slash ETF dash competition to submit your entry. As Bryce said at the beginning, we'll do a bonus episode on the Get Started Investing feed, going through some of our favorite ETF ideas and announcing the winner in preparation for our ETF mini-series. But we thought we would run through a few that have come in that we really like, just to give you a taste of what's coming in. One thing that I'm particularly enjoying are the ASX tickers. There's some good ones that have come through, but we've got a few here that might give you some inspiration and give you an idea of the quality, I guess, that's coming through. So should we just rip through a few now? Yeah, let's do it. Most of them have names. The first one doesn't, but I liked it, so I've included it anyway. So we'll start with the non-named one. It's a 5G ETF. Okay. And it captures companies that are building 5G technology or are most likely to benefit from 5G technology. Nice. So I think a lot of people are so pretty... So it's a telco ETF. 
or like Internet of Things. Yeah, Internet of things, things, all that yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, smart devices, smart cars, all that kind of stuff. So another one that I liked was the Waste and Circular Economy ETF submitted by Molly with the ASX ticker BIN, B-I-N. And that's focused on companies in the you know, waste and recycling industry that are focused on that circular economy, taking products and turning them into something new. So obviously a massive trend across the world at the moment and a growing trend really driven by a lot of government regulations. So that was a particularly inventive one and a good one for me. This one's come through from Nick. The ETF name is Sustainable Advocates. The ticker would be SAE. And his suggestion is to buy the least sustainable companies and then advocate for change as a major shareholder. Whilst there are businesses that do do this currently, no way for retail investors to participate. Yeah, so you buy what the BHPs and... Well, that be like, and... sweet, you're an investor. Uh, <laughs> no, nah, see you later. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it's, you know, rather than Vanguard just passively owning these companies, it's an opportunity for retail investors to be shareholder activists or empower the ATF provider to mm. be shareholder activists on their behalf. Mm. This next one I really liked. I thought it was quite creative. So the ATF's name is R&D Intensive, and R&D stands for Research and Development. The ticker was R&D, submitted by Dwayne. And the concept was to invest in companies that are spending heavily on research and development across any industry, sector, or country. And the thesis for that is that these companies that are spending heavily in research and development have a real growth mentality and are investing for the future. It's an interesting one. I'd want to see some science behind whether or not just pouring money into R&D actually leads to good results. Yeah, it's a fair point. It's a very fair point. <laughs> like um, there's a lot of companies who do spend a lot and yes. uh, don't go anywhere. There are, there yes. are. So yeah, Dwayne, send us through your due diligence and your back testing <laughs> on that one. But I, I thought it was a pretty creative idea and I think the logic I think holds. Yeah, yeah. This one's from Simon. Genome Revolution ASX ticker would be DNA. Not bad. Gene sequencing and gene editing is the future of medicine. So finding companies, I assume, that play in this space and getting amongst the gene mutation yeah. industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, like CRISPR, personalized medicine, all that stuff. Yeah, um, not bad. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it. Last one, defense. And the ASX ticker was WAR, W-A-R, submitted by Peter. And basically, it's to invest in the military industrial complex. Invest in all of those companies that make defense products and or benefit from an increase in defense spending across the world, which is sadly probably something that we're going to see in yeah. the tumultuous 2020s we're entering. So there are six great entries of perhaps over 200 that have come in so far. So it's been a phenomenal kickoff to the competition. It will be running for another couple of weeks. If you haven't already entered and would like to put your name in the draw to win this thousand, as Ren said, head to our website. The information is there. Follow us on Instagram. We're calling some of these awesome ones out as we go. And I've got one last thing. There's been a lot of submissions around sin stocks, around like smoking and gambling stocks. <laughs> In the commentary, a lot of people are trying to play to the judge and saying Bryce will really like these stocks. Well, um, you've been absolutely bamboozled I, by Ren because I'm not interested in, in I'm any gonna, of those stocks. I'm going to say stop trying to play to the judges. Um, <laughs> I'm going to make sure Bryce just doesn't choose the one that has the biggest weighting towards tobacco companies. Don't worry, Ren. That's not going to be an issue. All right, before we move into the Ask Us Anything, 
anything, thought it would be a good idea to update everyone on our portfolio. So where are we at? We have had some issues with the portfolio online. So now the URL is equitymates.com slash EM dash portfolio. That is dot com slash em dash portfolio <laughs> and, and Bryce as, a, as you always tell me people don't go directly to URLs so you can just go to our website and then click to the portfolio yeah so uh, without going into too much detail if you haven't already listened to our episodes on construction and the rules behind our portfolios go back and have a squeeze at those our core portfolio as it stands we have spent sixteen thousand dollars. So we spent all the starting money that we had from our afterpay winnings. Yes, and a reminder, the core portfolio is purely built on ETFs. It is up 3%, led by Australian property, which is up 9.5%, which was the most controversial pick at the time. And what does that teach, Ren? Uh, That's, you know, the whole set and forget mentality, the whole diversify across a large range of sectors and then hold it for a long period of time. Some of the ones that you think may not perform well, you know, there was a lot of controversy because of COVID and all of that. They have actually performed well and because people's expectations were out of line with what's actually happened. So it's just a good reminder that we definitely don't know everything that's going to happen. And the point of long-term investing is cover all your bases. The satellite portfolio, which is the one where we're having a bit of a play around, we've only deployed 2,000 into that and that was into Citadel and into Magellan. We're up 10% led by Citadel, which was a listener pick uh, from Ben and the group out at uh, University of Western Australia. That is up 27% after a takeover offer has come through. So pretty phenomenal result for those guys. Thank you so much. We did add it to the portfolio, which is driving those returns. So we'll probably leave it there and have a bit more of a comprehensive discussion on the portfolio when we get some of our listeners to come in and do some stock pitches later this month. So stay tuned for that. One final thing, Ren, we did throw it out to the Facebook community, the Salesforce investing committee, I should say. I I came on and pitched Salesforce, the immediate investing committee, you and myself. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't decide on whether or not we wanted to put it in the portfolio because of the price that it was trading at at the time. So we threw it out to all other members of the investing committee, you guys out there. The rule is if we can't agree or there's a little bit of uncertainty, we put a poll in our Facebook group and I think we did it on Twitter as well, but we let you guys decide. The results came back. Unfortunately, the listeners did not. Hey, not unfortunately. That's just, that's the (laughs) way, that's how the game goes. That is true. That is true. It was actually pretty close. I think on Twitter, it was basically 50-50. On the Facebook group, it was 61% no, 39% yes. So it means sales remains on our watch list but did not get added to the portfolio. That's right. It will remain on our watch list and this is how investing committees go. So be it. It was a a resolute decision to go no. Obviously, the key concerns were around valuation and interestingly, the complexity of product also came through. We spoke about some of the positive reasons. Some of those are around disruption, sticky customers, that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's it. Salesforce is on the watch list. Yeah, we can expand on that more in our next episode. But I think for now, it's just important to update people who are listening, but not in the Facebook group. I mean, what are you doing if you're not in the Facebook group? But let's get stuck into this Ask Us Anything. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. We're just going to do three questions today, so we'll get stuck into those. And just as a reminder, if you do have questions that you want to ask, again, the Facebook group is where you can ask outside of this forum. So, Ren, first question is coming in from Unknown. Yeah, young, 16 years old, which is awesome. Looking to invest in the stock market. Love the attitude. Combank app states that you must be over 18. Uh, They want to take advantage of current market conditions and want to know if they can invest while they're 18 or do they have to purchase shares in another way? Yeah, so there's two key groups of people that this question relates to, both people who are under 18 listening to our podcast and want to invest for the first time, but then also parents or, you know, soon-to-be parents, kind of like you, who want to invest on behalf of their kids. We've had a few questions come in around that. So firstly, for young people who want to invest for themselves, unfortunately for them, they can't sign up to a broker in Australia until they're 18. What that means is that really you're going to need your parent or your guardian to set up the brokerage on your behalf. And, yeah. and they can do that. They can set it up so that they're the legal owner, but the child is the beneficiary, but your parent is going to have to place your trades. Definitely have a chat to your parent or your guardian and get them to do it for you though. Because you know, the power of compounding, especially if you get in while you're a teenager, you know, that, that was your story. You know, you got in super young and look at you now trying to buy a boat and living in <laughs> Darlinghurst. Not, again, not true. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a great attitude, but yeah, you're going to need your parent. I guess the second part is for people who are thinking about investing for their kids or on behalf of their kids. Again, it's definitely something you should do because the awesome power of compounding is just so critical. You know, if you can start investing when your kid's young and they can hold an investment for their lifetime or until they retire. So in Australia, you can invest on behalf of your kid. There's a number of ways you can do that. So you can open a brokerage account in your child's name. The most important thing if you're going to do it that way is speak to a financial advisor or a tax professional and make sure you set it up properly. If you are actually investing for your kid and the kid is the beneficial owner and it's set up right, you're all good. But the ATO don't look kindly on people saying that they're investing for their kid when the adult is actually getting the benefit. Yeah. So just that's one that you want to get professional advice and make sure you're setting it up properly. So that's that one. There's also a number of like new apps and you know the micro investing apps that are that are playing in this space and creating products that are set up for parents to invest on behalf of their kids. Two that I came across when looking at this question, Stockspot offer the ability for parents to invest for their kids and they offer no fees up to when the child turns 18 or when the account reaches more than 10 grand. So that's one. Raise also offer Raise Kids raises that micro investing app that rounds up your transactions. So they're two that you can check out or you can just open a brokerage account. But yeah, the main thing is make sure you're doing it in the right way. So I guess the long and the short of it is if you're under 18, you can't invest personally. But 
investing as a kid or investing for your kids can be done and probably should be done because it'll definitely benefit the kids' lives. Nice, Ren. Next one, choosing managed funds. So this comes in from Evan and he has listened to us talk about our entry into the Magellan Global Fund uh, and uh, using the NAB Equity Builder product to do so. Yes. And his question was around how we chose the Magellan Global Fund, why we chose it. And I guess more generally, what are the steps that someone should take when deciding what managed fund is right for them? Good question. Why did we choose Magellan? Well, Ren, you and I had interviewed Chris Weldon twice on the show. We became pretty starstruck. Yes. He is an amazing portfolio manager, has been lucky enough to work underneath Hamish Douglas as his sort of second in charge. And for those who are unaware, Hamish Douglas is perhaps one of the, if not, I guess, most well-known and respected investors, fund managers, in Australia at the moment has uh, been delivering phenomenal returns for his investors over the last many years. So we took the opportunity through the Equity Builder to get access to this off-market fund. There is a minimum that you need to, to buy into these funds. It requires a ridiculous amount of paperwork, which is our third stance in the show. We hate paperwork. <laughs> but anyway, I think the reason we chose him, well, personally, I chose him was we've learned a lot over the last four years. And, and what we're about to sort of talk about was, a, you know, a culmination of a lot of those things. So in terms of steps to choosing your managed fund, Ren, I think the first step is all about understanding your investing goals. There are a lot of fund managers, just like there are ETFs that set up to accommodate to different sorts of goals. That might be long-term. You might want a fund manager who hedges the market, so takes both long and short positions. You might want a fund manager who is looking for companies that are tech only. Whatever that may be, it needs to align with your investing goals, which in our case is to grow wealth over a very long period of time so that we have the ability to pursue I guess, things in life without having to rely on a paycheck. And certainly the long-term view that Magellan have really correlates to that. And that really comes into the next part, which is ensuring that the fund manager has a strategy that aligns to your goals. So I just mentioned there that we want to build wealth over a long period of time. Magellan make it very clear that their time horizon is over a very long period of time. There's no point Ren and I putting money into a fund manager and we're thinking, all right, well, we're going to keep our money in there for 30 years. And they're saying, well, we're going to be delivering you returns over a five-year period. Yeah. Pointless. There's fund managers that have specifically stated that they want to beat their index every year. Yeah. And, you know, if you want to make money quickly, maybe that's the way to go. But Yeah. So in terms of the strategy, it's not only about their time horizon. You need to be thinking about what are they actually investing in? Are they even investing in an asset class that will deliver you your investing goals? If I want to be talking about long-term time horizons, there's probably not any value in me putting in money into a fund manager who is playing around in the crypto space and having a bit of a cowboy time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not sure that's going to happen. So make sure that the strategy aligns to your goals. I think the other part of the goals is risk tolerance. Like that's an underappreciated part of setting your goals and that's critical when strategy. You know, your crypto fund manager, your risk tolerance has to be basically, I can lose all this money. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Three sort of key things to look for in the fund is the management, past performance and fees. So in terms of management, 
you know, we've spoken about uh, having an understanding of, of the way that Chris and Hamish go about doing their thing. Everyone is different in this world of investing. So it's important to have an understanding of what drives the manager, you know, look up how they're thinking. Does that resonate with you? That sort of stuff. Just get an understanding of who you're actually backing. See if they've been interviewed on the Equity Mates podcast. Yeah. The biggest difference here, one of the big differences between putting your money with an off-market managed fund like this or through an ETF is that you are literally backing in the decisions of this manager. You're, you're saying that I think you're going to be able to deliver a better result than if I put it into an ETF. Yeah. So you want to make sure that the manager that you're backing in, you understand. Yeah. Additionally, how have they been performing over the last number of years? For me, this is not how have they been outperforming. It's just have they been outperforming in some regard? Like I'm not trying to be, you know, have they outperformed last year, the year before they took a loss? Really, are we looking for if they haven't been outperforming at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and it's, it's all relative. Like you, you wouldn't, in the last five years, you wouldn't compare a value investor no. to, uh, you know, uh, someone like Magellan, like a large cap growth investor because they have different strategies. Yeah. But if you want to invest in a value investor and they're underperforming every other value investor, yeah. that's potentially a red flag. I mean, potentially yeah. it's their strategy, but it's it's worth looking into. So it's all about relative performance. If you were backing in a, a tech fund manager and they have outperformed <laughs> over the underperformed, underperformed over yeah. the last <laughs> 10 years, then you've probably got to ask some questions. And thirdly, Ren, the other big difference with uh, compared to sort of ETFs and those listed products is the fees. Fund managers do tend to charge A, higher fees and B, different fee structures to your traditional or I guess to an ETF product. So uh, make sure you understand more so how your fees are going to be charged and what a sort of impact that's going to have on your yeah. investments. And most managed funds will report performance net of fees. That's the important metric to compare if you're comparing it to like an ETF or something because performance before fees doesn't really mean that much because you are paying more fees. Yeah. yeah. So other things to consider are withdrawals. I mean, that's just you withdrawing your, your cash from the yeah. fund. How often are you allowed to do it? When can you do it? Or how do you do it? Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of them do have minimums, A, to enter into the fund and B, then to top up the fund as you keep going. And then other key terms, distribution and reinvestment, but they're pretty straightforward. So Yeah. All of that information can be found in the product disclosure statement for all of these managed funds, and including things like what their time horizon is and their strategy. So that's the most important document with a lot of these things. To find out more, head to, there's some good resources online. The ASIC's Money Smart website, Choosing a Managed Fund is the name of that page that's worth checking out, as well as CanStar Managed Fund Rating. I think Morningstar also do a whole bunch of stuff they on do, managed yeah, funds. Yeah. So there's plenty of information out there. Yeah. Yeah. So Ren, do you have any final thoughts? Just a few. I always have a few. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it short. Uh, yeah. I think what I've personally learned over the journey with Equity Mates is that active management can play a really important role in certain areas, especially small caps and emerging markets. The indexes there are a little bit more fraught to invest in. And that's where that real diligence of understanding the companies, understanding what you're investing in, understanding those foreign markets and the dynamics of those foreign markets can really pay dividends, pun intended. Literally. So I think in some areas, you know, investing in a large cap standard fund may not be much better than an ETF because the large cap indexes have just killed it of late and large cap managers sometimes have difficulty outperforming the index. So if you're going to invest in a large cap manager, you have to be confident that the manager is really smart, is a Hamish Douglas, I guess. 
so yeah, I think just have a think about where active management can really add value is probably the, the first thing. And then the second thing is around don't chase performance. There's this phenomenon where, especially with large institutional investors, but it applies everywhere, is a manager will have a cracking last year. And so everyone will then put their money with that manager because they're like, he or she had a cracking last year. We want to be involved in that because I'll do it again. But the thing with investment returns is it's not linear. It's not the same every year. You have great years, you have bad years. And if you are constantly chasing the person who had a great last year, often you will get their down years, whereas strategies take a long time to play out and investments aren't a year-to-year proposition. They're multi-year propositions. So don't just chase and chop and change. If, if you think the manager's good, if you think their strategy's good, but they've had a down year, don't just go to the shiny thing that had a good last year because the strategy that you were with will take time to play out and the strategy that you're moving to may have had its best year and then it may have a few soft years. Mm. So institutions get in a lot of trouble chasing performance and then performance reverts to the main. So just be conscious that they might be giving you quarterly updates or they might be giving you yearly updates. That doesn't mean you should be changing every quarter or every year. Nice. So last question has come in from another listener. Unfortunately, don't have the name. Apologies. They, A, have asked our thoughts on a stock called SmartPay Holdings. The response to that, Ren, should be that uh, we would love to hear your thoughts on SmartPay Holdings. Send us in your thesis and you can come on the show and have a chat about it. They were thinking about adding it to the hypothetical portfolio. Additionally, though, it is dual listed on the New Zealand Stock Exchange. So would like our thoughts on other dual listed stocks, both on the ASX and New Zealand Stock Exchange, or perhaps elsewhere around the world. So I guess we can start with Ren. What is a dual listed stock and what are some examples? Yeah. Now I went a little bit deep on this. So pull me out if I, if I go too far down a rabbit hole at any time. For people who are unfamiliar with dual listed stocks, it's essentially where a company has a stock listing in two markets. So for example, A2 Milk is listed in both Australia and New Zealand. There's dual listing and then there's also cross-listing. They're two terms which in effect mean the same thing for investors. It's just a bit of a different corporate structure. But you'll come across both of those terms, dual listing or cross-listing. Both of them are where a stock is listed on more than one exchange. So there's some big examples in Australia. Uh, BHP and Rio Tinto are both listed in Australia and the UK. And there's a number of companies that are both listed in New Zealand and Australia. Uh, Zero, A2 Milk, Auckland International Airport, Kathmandu, to name just a few. For people who are wondering why a company would do this, there's a number of reasons. The main one is access to more capital. So if you're a New Zealand company, the capital markets, like the the size of the, the market and the number of investors is smaller than Australia, you might choose to be dual listed also in Australia because then you can access a whole bunch more investors. It also means that you can access more fund managers, you know, like there's fund managers with particular mandates, so they can only invest in Australian stocks or they can only invest in US stocks. If a company wants access to more fund managers and, you know, a greater pool of investors, basically, they might choose to list in a bigger market. So that's why they would do it. There's obviously drawbacks as well. Then they've got to manage two sets of regulatory requirements and reporting and you know they've probably got a lot more travel that they've got to do to speak to investors and all that stuff but it's just a choice that companies may make i guess the critical thing is though what it means for investors really i guess long and short of it is not a lot after exchange rates are taken into consideration 
the stock price shouldn't really be that different on exchanges. You know, an A2 milk share in Australian dollars on the ASX and an A2 milk share in New Zealand dollars on the New Zealand stock exchange really should be in line. There are instances where that doesn't happen, but generally what you see then is traders will come in and trade that difference and they will bring the price back into line through that trading. So there are examples where that hasn't happened. And for people familiar with long-term capital management, a massive hedge fund that collapsed in the 90s, they lost a lot of money on those arbitrage trades. But that is a rabbit hole that I will not go down. <laughs> no. I will pull myself Stay out of out that, of that room. So yeah, basically for an investor, for you and I, Bryce, looking at these companies, if A2 Milk's listed in New Zealand and Australia, we have an option to invest via the New Zealand stock market or the Australian stock market. But whichever one we invest in, it's the same ownership stake of the company. It's one share of the company. It gives you the entitlement to the same dividends and stuff like that. Actually, one good thing about dual listing is as an Australian investor, if you invest in Australia, you get franking credits. So for example, BHP and Rio wouldn't pay franking credits to their UK investors who invest through the UK company because they would be meaningless. So aside from those minor considerations, it's basically the same. You become a shareholder of the company. Why would you choose to do it on the New Zealand Stock Exchange if you could buy it in Australia? You wouldn't. Well, you wouldn't, I guess, unless you were a New Zealand uh, investor. Yeah. Um, I think, the, yeah, exchange rate, currency, all that sort of stuff, yeah. not worth it. Really, wherever you're based in the world is you want to invest in your home country. It's just easier from an admin and tax point of view. So it's just something to be aware of that companies can be dual listed, but really it, it doesn't make the company any better or worse. It's still the same process of analysis to decide if the company's worth investing in. Do the prices move in the same direction on the stock exchanges? Sometimes you see because, you know, like if ResMed, for example, is listed in Australia and the US, I think it's listed in the US through ADRs, which are like a US vehicle that you don't really need to worry too much about. But because they markets trade at different times, you know, when the Aussie markets open, it'll move in Australia. And then when the US markets open, it'll move in the US. But they will respond in the same way. If the price goes up in Australia, it will move up in the US because the investors are looking at the same information. And if it doesn't, and there's a price discrepancy, that's when arbitrage traders will come in and try and profit from that differential. Nice. So yeah, dual listing. That really brings us to the end, unless you want me to go deep on long-term capital management. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. So I think for people, obviously there's more questions than we can answer on this. And what we've tried to do with the structure of this episode is do less questions and get a little bit more detail because we think that's probably more valuable. But if you're asking questions and they haven't been answered, go to the Facebook group because it's not just Bryce and I answering questions. It's a community of equity mates who are a lot smarter than us and who can probably give a lot better answers. So join the Facebook group if you haven't already. Absolutely. Well, Ren, always good chatting stocks. Chatting, that was weird. Always good chatting stocks. As we said at the start of the show, if you haven't already, please do leave us a review. We do have some shirts available and make sure you sign up to Get Started Investing because we've got a lot of stuff coming through there. And submit your entries for the Equity yes. Mates Build an ETF Portfolio. Yes. And that's, that's uh, probably all the housekeeping and uh, everything that we got. Nice. All right, Ren, we'll, uh, we'll chat next week. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to Equity Mates Investing Podcast, a production of Equity Mates Media. Please remember that everything you hear in Equity Mates Investing Podcast is general advice only. The content has been prepared without knowing your personal objectives, specific financial circumstances, or goals. The host of Equity Mates Investing Podcast may maintain positions in the companies discussed. 
Before considering any investment, please read the product disclosure statement and consider speaking to a licensed financial professional. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.